Hi there, and welcome to the Pearls from My Mom podcast. Every mom has special pearls of wisdom she passes on to her kids. In this podcast, we'll be talking about those pearls of wisdom, as well as the life lessons that our moms have passed down to us. We will be sharing to keep the legacy alive. Hi, and welcome to Pearls from My Mom. My name's Jessie. I'm your host, and I'm here today with a very special guest. Her name is Christina Corrales-Razzo, and she is the founder of The Pearl Project, a really amazing project I'm very excited to have her talk about. And she's, of course, here today to talk about her mom, Suzanne. So hi, Christina. How are you? Hi there. I'm doing well. Thank you so much. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Thank you. And thank you for being on here. I'm really, really can't wait to talk to you about all this well, thank you. No, it's it's really um, an honor to to tell my story and to talk to you. So thank you. Oh, for sure. So I'm, I can't wait to hear about your mom. Tell us about your mom. Let's just jump right in. Tell us what kind of person your mom was. Tell us what you want to, what, what kind of story you want to tell us about your mom. Sure. Okay. Well, um, my mother was, um, I, I would guess that I'm going to describe her as being someone who just meets her for the first time in a room. Um, And so my mother was at first, first impression, I would say is, is strikingly beautiful and a bit socially awkward and shy. Um, That's sort of the first impression that someone would get of my mother, Um, which those three characteristics don't necessarily all work hand in hand, but that's the type of person she was. And once you would start a conversation with her, um, she would kind of blow you away with her quick wit and her wisdom and her um, keen observance of the situation around her. For example, um, she would be, say, at a dinner party and strike up, strike up a conversation with my mother and um, she would be the first person to notice that someone else in the room may want to be included in the conversation. And so she would include that other person in the conversation and make some references to social issues, um, politics, religion, um, basically all the topics that one wouldn't really talk about the first time you meet them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she, she really would open up quickly and, um, as I said, be very in tune with the room and I'd say emotionally intelligent. Um, and, and I think the reasoning behind this is because she was a writer, um, and a storyteller as she was a journalist for most of her professional career. Mm-hmm. So she was very good at, um, getting people to open up. And although it was something out of her comfort zone, meaning that she was naturally introverted and did not like social engagements, did not like parties. Um, she was actually very naturally good at uh, interacting with people. Um, even if she felt a bit self-conscious and awkward about it, um, she was actually pretty gifted at um, conversation and getting people to feel comfortable opening up to her and, um, and learning from those people. Oh, that sounds, she sounds really special. Like you mentioned she was shy. So I was kind of yeah. a wallflower. She wasn't, she wasn't a wallflower. She was, like you said, she had that emotional intelligence enough to know that somebody was uncomfortable and maybe draw them in. Yeah. And, and I think what she did was she naturally, she really was naturally shy and she really naturally did feel, she would tell me that she felt awkward in social situations, but she pushed herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and she really tried. 
Um, for example, part of her, her job included speaking, speaking engagements. Um, when she, as a photo or sorry, as a journalist, she, um, worked, she actually had a news publication and she would write about hospital computer systems of all things. Um, and part of her job as the, as one of the head people of the company was to speak at conferences. And that was something that was, was very difficult for her. Um, it's as she would say, it scared the daylights out of me, but she, she joined Toastmasters, um, which is a, a really great, um, international organizations all around the world. And, um, she would push herself to become a more polished speaker and to feel more comfortable, um, with big crowds and, um, and gain confidence. So she, she really worked at it and always was constantly trying to improve herself professionally. Oh, that's awesome. And th- that must yeah. be really neat for you as a kid. Did you get to see, you know, were you ever witness to any of these speaking engagements or anything like that? No, I, you know, for most, most of this occurred during my childhood. So I was a little, I was a bit young to go to any of the conferences or any of the professional events that she was holding. But what I did witness was her um, speaking in front of maybe a, a group. For example, when I graduated college, um, she gave a speech in front of everybody. Or um, if there was a special occasion, like a birthday, um, she would stand up and she would give a toast or give a speech. And again, it was something that I knew made her super uncomfortable, but she did it anyway um, because she she was trying to contribute and trying to do a good thing. That's awesome. That's that's my kind of lady. I'm I yeah. I myself am like uncomfortable with a lot of stuff. Like I I don't particularly enjoy the sound of my own voice, and yet I'm a podcaster. So. <laughs> There you go. (laughs) Trying to like push myself. So I think that that that's awesome that your mom did that. So Mm -hmm. we talked a little bit about this is when you were little. So tell us about your relationship to your mom that, you know, at any point in your life, you can go go through it however you want. But uh, I know that most mother daughter relationships can be, you know, somewhat complicated. So how Mm -hmm. how did you guys get on? Well, um, I would say overall, my mom and I had a a good relationship. I wouldn't say it was amazing. We didn't have an amazing, close, tight-knit relationship, but we really did have a good, solid relationship. Um, And above all else, I think we had a very strong mutual respect for one another. Um, As a child, and and again, I'm going to say this is most most of my childhood because that's um, when I mostly had her in my life, she, um, she worked a lot. And she, she worked a lot because she had to, she was a single mom for many years and she had a very strong work ethic, which I would probably looking back, think was a little, um, extreme, Mm -hmm. but at the time I know that she was trying to do what was best for, for me. And she was trying to take care of me and, and actually set a good example for me by being a professional working woman. Um, and a lot of this was in the 80s when things were kind of changing socially and um, it was becoming more accepted. Um, but as I got a bit older, meaning when I became a, a tween and a teen and those kind of delicate formative years, um, I'd say that she and I grew a bit closer because I got older 
and became a bit more interested in what she was doing professionally. Um, I actually started working for her. She hired me when I was 14 to be her um, assistant (laughs) at her job. And I had to get like a special work permit from school because I was underage to be working as like actually like on payroll as an employee. Um, But she taught me a lot. She really taught me a lot about um, what she did professionally, which was was being a journalist and um, how to run a small business, what it entailed. And, um, and that was her way of really, I think, bonding with me was showing me what she did um, during her day and what was, what was really taking up a lot of her time. And, um, and also to include me in it so that um, we could just feel a little bit closer. So yeah, I appreciated that. At the time, I I thought it was like kind of weird (laughs) that my friends would be like, oh, let's go. I'm like, oh, you know, I gotta go to work. Like what? You're, you're 14, you're 15. I'm like, I know, but you know, I got a job and I have to go. Um, so it was, I would say we kind of, we actually had more of a professional relationship and she put me on an allowance when I was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and so starting very young, she, she really wanted to teach me like how to manage money and how to not overspend and how to save. And at the time it felt, um, I'd say a bit harsh. Like I just, I just wanted to have her buy me something if I wanted it and not have to really think about it. But as I got older, I actually think she was very wise in, in what she was doing, even though at the time I didn't really like it. Um, and that's, what's interesting is like, just looking back and like, oh, she really was like very smart in what she was doing and, and maybe thinking ahead many years when I, when I was just not, I wasn't, I didn't want to think about the next day as a teenager. Um, and as I, yeah, as I grew older, I think she and I, um, became closer and closer. Um, I matured and I think as I got a bit older, she sort of relaxed a bit. Um, and I think part of it was because she deep down may have been afraid that I was going to make the same mistakes that she made. Um, for example, she got married for the first time very young. She was 19 or 20 when she got married the first time. Mm -hmm. And I think she was afraid that I was going to get married very young and not be in a happy relationship. Um, and so I think as I got a bit older, she felt like, okay, my daughter is figuring things out on her own. And even if she does make the same mistakes I did, it's going to be okay. (laughs) And, um, yeah, I, I think our relationship got closer over the years. Um, it was always, there was always an air of professionalism in our relationship. Um, but we really did have a lot of love and and mutual respect for one another. Yeah, you said that word respect. That was when you were talking, that was like the first word that came to my mind. You're the first person I think I've talked to that has worked with their mom. I think that's really incredible. And it sounds like she taught you some amazing work skills, some money management skills, like some things that I definitely could have used <laughs> <laughs> in my early 20s when I was young. Uh, right. Yeah, I know. I think we all we all go can in our early 20s and late teens. Um, it's not so. the best of all time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Yeah, respect. I think I could I could see, you know, like you said, you know, there's love there. But she it seems like she really was like a, a mentor to you as well. And and that's really what mothers are, you know, in, in their best form supposed to be. So she sounds like like an awesome mom. Yeah, yeah, she really was. Um 
And, and again, I think, you know, our, like I said, our relationship was much different mm -hmm. from my friends' relationship, relationships with their mothers, for example. Um, but I wouldn't change it for anything. I really wouldn't, especially looking back. I wouldn't have changed it for anything. Oh, for sure. I'm sure you learn yeah. stuff that you can pass on, you know, to your own family and everything like that. So I think that's, that's how yeah. everything should work at its best, right? Yes, absolutely. Awesome. So just for some context for our listeners, let's just mm -hmm. get a get an idea of how long has it been that she's been gone? Was it like a, a quicker thing? You don't have to go into details if you don't want, but like how, what's the time frame here? Sure. Um, so when I was 18 years old, um, I'll go into a bit of detail. Uh, my, I was actually working at Starbucks, which was one of my many jobs as a teenager. And I got a call while I was at work um, and it was from my, my stepfather. And he told me that my mom had had a seizure and was on her way to the hospital and please, please, please get there as soon as you can. So I dropped everything, uh, went to the hospital. This was in Ventura, California, where I was living at the time. And um, she was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And at the time, we didn't know um, the source. We didn't know if it was benign or malignant. We didn't know what it meant. Um, and then after some further testing, uh, it uh, turned out to be lung cancer, which had spread to her brain with a very, very poor prognosis. And she was 47 years old, um, very healthy, active, um, non-smoking, um, which I'll get into later. <laughs> But um, just not the uh, typical profile of someone who has lung cancer. And it was something that was, of course, a shock to all of us. Um, but I think the hardest part was knowing that she had gone in for testing before and was misdiagnosed. And she was misdiagnosed because she did not fit that mold of someone who was at risk for lung cancer. Mm. Um, yeah. and. So that was kind of how the journey with her illness started. I was, I was 18 years old at the time, like I said, and um, she lived with it for four years, which was pretty miraculous, actually. Um, yeah, because considering... the diagnosis wasn't, the prognosis wasn't good. So had they like a time frame or? Yeah, so um, she was originally uh, told you probably have about three months to oh. live. Gosh. Um, and that you should, of course, like get your affairs in order. And, um, this is, this is an unfortunate situation, but this is the reality of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was, I mean, it was just devastating. Of course. Um, it was, it was a shock. It was devastating. Um, I didn't want to believe it. I didn't even know how to begin comprehending the situation. And the other, the other part was that she seemed perfectly healthy. Otherwise she looked healthy. Um, she felt good. Uh, but then after some more testing, then she would open up a bit about, Oh, well, I was having some trouble with my thinking. Um, but I, I thought I was just tired or stressed. And so I think that she was, she really, and I'm not blaming her work, but she was working so hard that she thought that maybe it was just interfering with her thinking and um, didn't want to believe that there that it was interfering with her writing. For example, my stepdad said that her writing started to not really make sense. Um, but that wasn't a red flag that anything was wrong. 
um, because no one in the family had a brain tumor mm-hmm. or much less lung cancer um, on their radar as a health risk for a, a young woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's really how it all started. Um, yeah, I was, I was young. Everyone in the family actually was young. And uh, we just decided that we were going to um, all join together and, and get through it. Mm-hmm. And somehow. that was a really, you know, formative time in your life. When you're 18, you're kind of just starting to learn adulting and, and doing mm-hmm. things. So how was that for you going through that? I mean, it was really difficult. Um, so I was actually, so I was 18, um, living in Ventura and I was getting ready to, um, I was planning on going away to college mm-hmm. um or university uh, my husband's canadian he says university uh and um <laughs> too, and i live in canada so i see it's awesome i love canada we go there all the time um so <laughs> i was um yeah i was at that point in my life definitely as you said where i was um in my formative years i was becoming just becoming an adult and figuring out how to do that um and then a bit of role reversal started to happen um where i couldn't quite lean on my mom as much as i had wanted to because she was trying to get through this um emotionally and physically herself um and i remember there was actually one point where she told me that i couldn't lean on her as much as i was because it was too hard for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really painful um, to hear uh, from from my mother that, you know, in a way that she couldn't be that figure that I wanted her to be anymore when I was still a teenager. Um, and that's and that's kind of when I realized that my life wasn't going to ever be the same again. Um, and I don't want to say that I was hurt or resentful. Um, it was just, I think it was just, I was scared. I was afraid of what that meant. Um, and, and surprisingly, our, it, didn't, it didn't hurt our relationship at all. I really sort of stepped up to the plate and said, okay, um, this is super scary, but uh, my mom, I have to respect that she's being honest with me about where she is, um, in her disease. And I have to be the the caretaker now, not the only caretaker, but, um, one of many Mm -hmm. to get her through it. And, and that's what I did. Um, so for example, um, when I, when I got into college university, um, I got into the school I wanted to go to, um, which was UCLA in Los Angeles. And, um, I was not sure if I was going to go because I didn't want to be far away from her. Mm-hmm. Um, but she told me, she said, if you don't go to the school you want to go to and pursue your dreams, then it will really hurt me. And so I said, okay, um, I'll go. And this was in the middle of her disease. I mean, this was in the middle of her terminal disease where um, she said, you need to go to the college that you want to go to and set your future up for yourself. And, um, so that's what I did. I, I, um, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done actually was to, um, accept my school, my first school of choice, move an hour away from my mom 
and and enroll in in college. Wow. Um, but I did. Be, sorry, go ahead. Hard. No, I was just thinking like that had to be so uh, like I can't even imagine. Yeah, it was really it was really tough. Um, but what I did was I went home every weekend. Um, it was an hour drive. So I put a lot of miles on my car mm-hmm. and I went home every weekend and spent every weekend with my mom. Um, and I called my mom every day. And, um, and I also felt a bit like in my own category, I want to say, meaning that, you know, I was surrounded by a bunch of, of other college students who were like worried about, I don't know, their friends and social status and fashion and relationships. And I was just worried about my mom. (laughs) And so I felt a bit um, isolated in a way, but I did figure out how to make that balance and to still have fun in school and to still um, do well um, academically um, and continue to be there for my mom and, and, and help take care of her the best I could. That's incredible. You sound like you were like, and I'm sure this probably forced it a little bit, or maybe because you had worked with her, but it sounds like you were so mature. And I just kind of want to revisit something that you said. Um, You said that you didn't have your mom to lean on while Mm -hmm. sick. And I I was 34 when my mom was diagnosed. And so, you know, with like children and and the husband and the house and stuff. And so you'd think I was mature, but (laughs) there was like a piece of me that was and I couldn't figure out what the emotion was. I felt like it was resent or resentment or, but like, you know, my, here's my mom who's helped me with everything up to this. Yeah. Point. Even as a 34 year old woman, I was calling her on a daily basis, you know, mom, Caden's got a cough. It sounds like this. What should I do? You know, mom, yeah. <laughs> you want me to do this kind of mortgage? Is that a good deal? You know, like I'm still, I was still leaning on her. And then when she got sick, it was only eight months from the time that, that she got diagnosed to when she passed away. but. Mm you know, it was almost like I felt like I couldn't call her with anything trivial anymore. And it, and you, like you said, it kind of changed your whole entire life changed after that point. Yeah. Because it seemed like every time I called her at that point, I had to, I had to be cheery and I couldn't just be like, Oh, you know, I had a crap day, you know, like, cause it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Say that you, you dealt with that and you handled that like, really well at the age of 18 shows a lot about you and how she taught you. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think actually like looking back, she really did prepare me a lot for um, what I had gone through at a very young age. Mm -hmm. I really, I really believe that. And, um, and yes, there, there was definitely like a huge perspective shift for me um, at that age. I'm actually 34 years old. um, And and I still, in many ways, feel very young. <laughs> and um, I, you know, I, I have those moments where I wish that I could, I could call her. Especially, I, I'm a mom as well, and um, have so many questions for her. Um, and I think one of one of the major emotions that I think comes up for me is um, knowing what it's like to be a mom, mm-hmm. and what she had been through as a mom and what she had gone through and what she had really done for me mm-hmm. as a mom that I never, I never realized. I never, I never thanked her for it. Um, because I didn't know, I didn't, I, there was no way for me to understand what, what it was like mm-hmm. to be a mom, um, until I became one myself. Um, which was, I guess, 
three years ago when I was 31. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was a major, that was something that was actually very difficult for her was um, knowing deep down that she wasn't going to meet her grandkids. I think that's something that she really, really, really wanted. Mm-hmm. And that was what was, was very difficult for her was um, letting that go and accepting that. I'm sure. Yeah. 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 So just to piece this together, so it's, it was 11 <laughs> years ago, right? The, the, yeah. When she battled for four years. So why do you want to tell her story? I mean, what, first of all, how long did it take for you to be able to talk about it after she passed away 11 years ago? Mm, that's a good question. Um, actually, to be completely honest, um, I was willing to talk about it with anyone who was willing to listen. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I really were like 10 years, 20 years. And I'm like, I was like, I was like wandering down the street being like, here, let me tell you about my mom. And like, yeah. And I, I think part of the challenge really for me was that I think it made people feel uncomfortable because mm-hmm. um, even my close friends didn't really know what to say. They didn't know um, how to address it. They would complain about their mom and then suddenly feel awkward and apologetic because, mm-hmm. you know, Oh, I, 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 I'm sorry. That was so insensitive. And I'm like, no, no, it's okay. Like mm-hmm. I don't want you to feel uncomfortable around me. Um, and again, I felt like I was in my own category and, and really it was, it was challenging to um, relate to people. And um, I, I really was willing to talk to people about it. Um, but I think it was just, it was sometimes harder for the other person than it was for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was different for my family members and other people who were going through it with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm an only child, so I don't have any siblings. Um, and I didn't, and I had a very, very small family on my mom's side. So didn't really have any peers to um, confide in who were family members. And um, so I really was willing to tell my story. So what I ended up doing actually is writing. I ended up writing a lot about what I was going through. I did a lot of journaling. Um, I just did a lot of therapeutic writing for myself, um, which helped me feel connected to my mom because she was a writer. And um, and it was just, you know, paper is a great listener. <laughs> it was always there. <laughs> and um, that's what I would do. I would, I would write. And it, and it really, really helped. Oh yeah, that I think that's a general running theme with pretty much everybody I've talked to so far. Um, yeah, I, I'm not great at journaling, but I do. My mom was really good at like she was the master of the holiday update letter, you know. Oh yeah, <laughs> so I kind of write those to her in a journal, and I say like, you know, this is what's been going on, and then every once in a while I'll be like, oh, and I don't know how to deal with this, and I wish I could talk to you about it, and and I do, I totally agree, and I think that if somebody is kind of struggling and if they haven't tried writing, they should definitely, definitely try that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also to be able to go back and look at, which is something that I should do and haven't done because I'm a bit afraid of doing it. Um, but going through my journals and, and looking at the past version of myself and how I've grown and how I've gone, how I've found my way through um, some really dark times. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's sort of a reminder of um, what what I can get through if something seems difficult or remind myself like, OK, like this is something that I did go through in the past um, with losing my mom. And this new challenge that I'm facing is something that I can get through as well. Mm-hmm. 
Oh yeah. So I'm it's trying to be super, helpful. You have to not be critical of like, you know, s- silly grammar or like words. That, Cause I'm sometimes I know that you like can probably write, but sometimes I'll read my writing back and I'll be like, why did I write like that? But you know, Oh yeah. No, me too. <laughs> it's like the, you know, you should yeah. don't be critical of that by any means. <laughs> yeah. No, I, and then like, sometimes I'm like, I can tell I was like falling asleep while I was writing or something or like, you know, the, the words start to like, just kind of go downward off the paper. And I'm like, yeah, oh like yeah. One long pen mark that goes yeah. off. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, and I know you said you had kids and your kids didn't get to, you have kids. They didn't get to meet your mom. So is there anything that you do now to keep their, to keep her memory alive with them? Or like, do they, I, I don't know how old your kids are, but I don't, mm-hmm. do, I don't know if you ever talk, tell them about, you know, this would, would have been your grandma. How does that work for you? Yeah, well, my kids are very young. Um, my older son, Max, is two and a half, and my younger son, Leo, is six months old. So um, very young children. Um, with Max, I, you know, I have started to talk about my mommy um, and telling him, like, I'll show him pictures um, and talk to him about her and say, this is my mommy, and this is what she looked like, and she loved cats, too, and, um, she was a really special lady. And I actually have, um, a collection of childhood books that, um, my mom and my grandmother actually both had given to me. Um, and I'll tell Max that, you know, when I was your age, my mommy read me this book and now I'm reading it to you just to help him feel connected. And I'm not sure if he really knows what that means yet. Um, but as he gets older, um, I really do plan to, uh, make sure that he knows the type of person she was um, and appreciates her and and somehow feels feels connected to her. Um, that's that's something that's important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it does make me really sad that he doesn't and angry actually, that he doesn't have her um, in his life because i I know she would have been an amazing grandmother and um, and would have loved a grandson, two grandsons, because she just had one daughter. Um, so I, I think she really would have loved little boys, and um, she loved babies and kids. Mm-hmm. And um, it, yeah, I, I think through them, um, definitely, I will be keeping her memory alive, and also seeing her in them. Um, I do see a bit of her in Max already, mm-hmm. um, in that he can sometimes be a bit. Um, introverted and for example uh if we're out at a a playground um he'll he'll go play for a while but then he really likes to just like take a break and sit under a tree with a book and and relax for a little bit and not um interact (laughs) he just kind of needs breaks and and i've noticed that and i think he's also in preschool and um the teachers and preschool teachers have also noted that he he likes to, to just um, spend a little time by himself and take breaks. And um, I see my mom and him in that regard. And it's, it's really kind of an amazing experience that I, I never expected. I would imagine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially since, you know, he's never met her, but yet he's, he takes on these characteristics. I think that's really cool actually. Yeah. Yeah. And, and very, I mean, it's, it's very subtle, um, but it's something that I try to be um, receptive to. Mm-hmm. because um, it's just, it's just pretty amazing. I mean, generationally like, wow, this continues and these personality traits will, will come up. 
um, if you only just look for it. Uh, so that's been, that's been a really uh, pretty awesome thing to witness. Yeah. So that's how you kind of keep, you know, you're kind of, I love the books idea and talking about your mommy and, and trying to relate that to them that keeps them alive for her, her alive for them. But how do you keep her, her alive for yourself on a daily basis? Um, well, uh, one, one thing I do, and I'll, I'll talk more about it later is, um, it's an organization that I founded that you mentioned in the beginning called the Pearl Project. Um, which is something that I've been working at for a number of years to um, really promote lung cancer awareness um, in women as something that is is the leading cancer killer in women and that I, I really believe needs to be on women's health radar um, without women feeling stigmatized um, at all or ashamed of their disease. Um, and that's something that she really struggled with herself was the type of cancer that she had. Mm-hmm. And um, and telling her story through that, and um, as she was a journalist, she really believed in storytelling, and and I want to continue to honor her memory um, by doing the same thing that that she really believed in. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing I do is I I journal, I write, and um, I'll write to my children. I actually write to my children as much as possible. I have one journal for Max and one journal for Leo and, and I have one journal for myself. So I actually have three journals and um, I don't do it every day, but um, I try to as frequently as I can um, to, to stay connected to them. Um, And strangely enough, it actually makes me feel connected to my mom because I know that journaling was something that she practiced. And after she passed away, left me with her journals and I was able to read them and read her, her stories and her emotions. And she was very candid and very tough and um, almost this other person in her writing that I never knew. Um, And I learned a lot from her. Um, So I feel like I'm sort of continuing that tradition by journaling myself. Um, I also have her handwriting, um, not exactly, but there are a few letters where I write and I'm like, oh my goodness, that is exactly how my mom wrote that word. And it sometimes startles me a bit, um, but I feel very connected to her when I'll write, for example, the word mom is exactly how she wrote the word mom, like identical. Um, And uh, another way that I feel connected to her is... um, Sometimes I'll just set aside time and I'll go through photos. I have a box of, of pictures um, of, of us together and I'll just take some quiet time at my desk and um, just kind of take a trip down memory lane and um, look at pictures of us together and, and really just set aside time to think about her and to remember her and um, to feel close to her. That's awesome. That's um. Yeah. The, the journal, the fact that you have three journals, first of all, you're like a superstar. That's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. And that's awesome. And I like, I love the idea of having one for each of your kids. Um, and yeah. the fact that she, that you got to read her journals, what a gift that is to you. That yeah. You, I mean, there's, there's stuff in there, like you said, that you never would have thought. My mom did the same thing. She had, um, she typed up like pretty much her whole life. So it's like a memoir and it's amazing. And I read some of it. My sister. Wow. I've been bugging her to to send it to me but um <laughs> but I like <laughs> some of these stories I mean there's stuff that I was like floored you know 
Um, yeah. So that's it's good. interesting, right? And and the the I think the security that someone feels when they're journaling or writing, like there's just sometimes there's no filter mm-hmm. and um there's a bravery that can come through and um and it's inspiring. It really was inspiring for me to to see all that she had produced and and written um and that she really trusted um in sharing with me. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's a, that's phenomenal. And mm-hmm. you and so you mentioned that it was lung cancer. My mom um had passed away from lung cancer as well. And yeah, I'm so sorry. I know how hard it is. <laughs> <laughs> My mom, she did smoke. So she did fit, but so did my grandma. My grandma's still alive. She's 87. So, you know, like I don't, my mom was 65 when she passed away. And so, but she was, I, I had written you to ask you to come on the show. And, um, and I kind of said this in the email, but she was, she didn't even tell me what kind of cancer she, I knew it had spread in metastasized and gotten to the bone and um, in her liver and her brain and different spots, but I never knew where it originated until after she passed away. And I don't know, it just kind of hit me one day and I called my sister and I said, was it lung cancer? And my sister said, yeah, I thought like, mm-hmm. you just thought I knew that. And I, my mom never told me that. And you said, I mean, even though my mom was a smoker, I think it was, she was embarrassed from that. And so the project that you're doing that, like, like I said, definitely want you to chat about that. But like, it, to me, I just think that's phenomenal because it's not, you shouldn't blame, you know, somebody, especially, you know, uh, like, they didn't know how bad smoking was back when my mom started smoking, you know? And yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I really do. I think it's, it's unfair to, to, you know, make somebody feel bad for, for being sick. And absolutely. And, and I think, you know, that's, that's um, the heart of, of really my, my own passion project and um, with the Pearl project and, and my mom who was the inspiration for it. And she actually told me, when I, when I talked to her about her disease, she said, I didn't smoke, but I don't want to use that as a way to defend myself because I don't think that people who smoked deserve it either. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to categorize myself. Mm-hmm. So she actually wouldn't even tell people if she smoked or not when she told people she had lung cancer mm-hmm. because she didn't feel comfortable um, basically saying like, I didn't deserve this. Mm-hmm. Um, because she felt like it was, it was unfair to anybody who did smoke because smoking is, it's an addiction. Mm-hmm. And, and she really actually had a lot of empathy for, for everyone who had lung cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really thought that was amazing for her to have that insight, um, at that late stage in her life, mm-hmm. um, instead of feeling bitter about her disease, um, or defensive, she, she said, um, she, she was honest about feeling, um, I guess, ashamed of the type of cancer she had. She didn't want to share it with people, but when she did, she also didn't want to, um, put herself in a, in a category as a non-smoker with lung cancer. Mm-hmm. She just didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. That's yeah. So your project is called the Pearl Project. Mm-hmm. I yes. think that's how I found you. I was like, I was on, you know how you can like look at hashtags and stuff on Instagram. Yeah. So my, the name of my thing being pearls from my mom. I think I just like looked up pearl and I found you and I thought, wow, this is amazing. So um, as my listeners know, and I think, you know, the, the whole entire goal of pearls from my mom is to kind of discuss the pearls of wisdom mm-hmm. that she's given you. So I don't know if it was like, if there are phrases that you remember, or if it's just the way that she lived her life in general, but if you could sum mm-hmm. up your favorite pearl of wisdom from your mom, what would that be? 
Yeah. Um, well, the first one that comes to mind is actually, I want to call it a pearl of wisdom that has been passed down for generations. Um, and that is passed down by women, meaning like my grandmother, my great grandmother, my grandmother, and my mom. And that is to keep your own name at the top of your list. Okay. And that is something that my mom told me, something my grandmother told me, and um, a pearl of wisdom that she, that my grandmother had heard. And I think it was, you know, it's very simple, um, but it is a piece of advice that I really have lived by um, as a young mother, um, as someone who did lose her mother at a very young age. And um, to remember to take care of myself mm-hmm. um, because it's so easy, especially with grief and with loss, to stop taking care of oneself. Um, and it was very tempting many times to just like not take care of myself physically, um, not, you know, not maintain a healthy diet, not exercise, um, not get therapy when I needed it. Um, not reach out to my friends when I knew that I probably should because I needed support. Um, and it was so tempting to just kind of fall into a funk and, and not take care of myself. And I ended up really needing to because I didn't have my mom to take care of me. And um, so I really tried and tried and tried to keep my own name at the top of my list, which is something that I think as women were kind of conditioned not to do because we're conditioned to be caretakers Mm -hmm. and take care of your family, take care of your children and be nurturing. But we also, we need to take care of ourselves to be our, be the best person for the people we love. Um, So it is, it's a simple phrase, but it's one that really, I think has a lot of wisdom in it. Um, And it's really helped me, uh, from a very young age, um, maintain perspective and a level of maturity uh, that I think was needed to to get through it. That's that's an amazing pearl of wisdom. <laughs> Thank you. I love that. It's very yeah. It's very simple. I said it's it's not like it's not something. It's like super. It's not like the biggest quote that you're going to find on Instagram, and not like wow, that's really you know. But it's but when you start to think about it, it's one that. Um, has a lot of depth and meaning. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it's super important. Like if you, you know, like, like they say on the airplane, if you don't have your air mask on, you can't help anybody else. So right. if you're not taking care of yourself, you can't help anybody else. I think that's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. All right. So, and you kind of talked about how you, that's shaped your life and you feel like that's really kind of guided you and, and helped you, you know, through probably a lot of t- really tough things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it, it's helped me um, with so many different, I guess, phases of my life, um, from being a teenager, being a young adult, um, being a mother. Um, it's, I've been tested <laughs> to, um, in, in every role that I, I have and that I've been handed, and wonderful roles, like the best role yet, which is being a mom. Um, and the exhaustion that comes with it and the sleepless nights and, um, the temper tantrums, everything, but to remember that I need to take care of myself, um, because it's such an easy thing to, to let go. It tends to be the the first thing that I want to let go if I'm trying to manage many things at once. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll skip lunch or I won't take a, a nap if I have an hour to do it and I'm super tired. Um, I'll just, I'm very tempted to, to skip through it. But then I have to remember like, no, you know what? If you don't eat lunch, you're going to be tired. You're going to be cranky. You're probably going to snap at someone and regret it later. Like take 20 minutes, eat some lunch, <laughs> just little things. And to remember that it, it's actually super, super important. Um, and I'm not, I'm not proving anything by not taking care of myself. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and, and throughout my life, I think it's, it's really going to um, serve as a, a, a very important reminder for sure for me that I can pass down to my own children Absolutely. as well. Passed it down to me today. I think that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> did it help you in your mm-hmm. grieving process? Like I know the grieving process is super different for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. but how was your grieving process? Like, uh, was there anything that helped you get through it? You think? Yeah, well, um, I think that was definitely, um, one of the most helpful, um, pieces of advice that I had received that, that did guide me through grief which was to take care of myself through the process. Um, and, and I think, you know, my, my, my grief process is always evolving. Um, it's, it's different probably every day um, because I'm evolving as a person and um, there are going to be different ways that I honor my mother and feel connected to her. And um, I think one of the most important things that I did that I would probably um, turn to as, as advice um, for anyone else who is, is going through grief um, is to remember to just keep feeling the pain. Um, as strange as that sounds, um, I was tempted to not feel anything um, after, after my mom died. I really was. Um, and I remember telling myself to focus on the pain, to feel the pain, um, because you're feeling. And what's the opposite of not feeling? It's depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really had to stay focused on that, to, to almost surrender to the pain, to feel the pain, work through it. Um, because if I could feel the pain, I could feel the joy and I could feel the good. Mm-hmm. I think that's super normal, by the way. Like when after my mom passed away, the thing that hit me the most was the apathy. Mm, yeah, like it, it, it upset me the most. I was like, at least if I could cry, at least I'm, you know. But like, mm-hmm. and then once you once you can start to cry, you can say, okay, this is this is a feeling. I can deal with this. I can work through this. But the apathy, I think, is the worst. Nobody told me about that. Nobody like I didn't know that was going to happen, and I it was the worst part for me. So I think that's super normal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I remember feeling that too and, and being tempted because it's, it's easier to just not feel um, it's much more challenging to, to feel the sadness and to feel the pain. Um, but there's a, a really great quote that I love, which is um, that remembering is love. And um, by remembering what you had with your mother, remembering what I had with my mother is feeling that love. And it's so important. And, and often those memories are, it's going to be painful because that person is gone. Um, but it's, but you're loving that person. You're still loving that person and, and to allow yourself to feel the memories um, and not be so afraid of them. Like how I'm afraid to go through some of my journals to this day, because 
I'm afraid of, of feeling and afraid of remembering because I think it's going to be painful, but I have to remind myself, like, I'm feeling the love for my mother. And, um, and that's very important. And it's something that, that I never want to let go of. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And you shouldn't. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> speaking of how, how it happens today, like, do you still have a relationship with your mom? Do you, and I, I've asked this to people before, but do, do you feel like she visits you? Are you? Uh... Yeah, I do. Um, and a few things. Um, the, the first um, way I feel her presence is actually um, by, <laughs> this, is, this is kind of unusual. My mom loved the Beatles. And awesome. <laughs> she really did. And uh, this didn't happen right after she passed away. Um, it's actually happened a number of years after she passed away um, where I would be in a situation. The first time this happened was actually um, on Alvera street, which is this, the oldest street in the city of Los Angeles. It's still open and it's a tourist destination um, in downtown Los Angeles. And I was there actually um, on the anniversary of my father's passing. Um, and I was in, there's a small cathedral there. It's a very old cathedral. And I was in the cathedral. I had lit a candle for my mom and my dad. I was at Alvera Street because my, my dad loved Alvera Street and feeling very sad and, um, and also very connected to my mom and my dad and was sitting there on a pew, had my head down and, um, I, I don't consider myself a religious person, but I definitely am spiritual and I like to, I feel very in tune with, with you know, energy and um, feel a strong connection um, with my parents still. And I had my head down and then I remember hearing the song, Hey Jude, which is my favorite Beatles song. Mm-hmm. Um, start, someone was playing it on the violin right outside Whoa. this church. And I just started crying and I thought, oh my gosh, my mom is here. Like I could just feel her love. I could feel her presence. Um, And it's happened a number of times after that. Um, And, and it actually has happened a lot more now that I have children. Um, Last about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, actually September of last year, um, my husband, my son, Max, this was before Leo was born. I was pregnant with Leo. Um, and I went to Italy, um, for about three weeks on vacation. It was really, really amazing. Um, and at one point we were on top of a cathedral, um, in the city, like the center of Milan. And it was a really magical moment where Max was like running around on the rooftop of this beautiful cathedral. And, um, Joseph was there with me. We were just, the sun was shining. It was like a perfect day. And Max was running around laughing. He was like a year and a half old. And then Hey Jude, same song, started playing by a street musician playing the saxophone in the middle of the plaza, like right by the cathedral. And I could hear it. And I just thought, Oh my goodness, there's my mom. Like I could feel, I just, in the song, I mean, you know, songs, they're like, they bring up all kinds of emotions. And, um, and I felt her, I felt her there. I felt her, um, this is, I, I was like, I'm going to get through this interview without crying. You know, I'm choking up. Um, <laughs> I, could, <laughs> I could feel, I could feel her, um, I could feel her love and I could feel that she, that she wanted to be there, that she, um, 
wanted to have this time with Max and um, to be able to love traveling, that she would have loved to be there with us um, on top of that cathedral. Um, and it was, it was, it was actually comforting. It was more comforting than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, 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 I teared up when I heard the song, but I didn't like melt into a puddle. Mm-hmm. I just, I just teared up and I felt her love and I felt connected to her. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, and, the, and that you're open to it, I think is amazing. And the fact that you, you're still, you know, that, that happens to you and with your children, I think that's phenomenal. That's super cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So we kind of, <sighs> we had talked a little bit, like I said, don't worry about the crying. Like <laughs> <laughs> I do have tissue at my desk. Cause I knew I was like, there's oh. a, we're all like a whole At some point. <laughs> <laughs> um, we kind of already yeah. touched on, you know, you had said, and this is a tough question right after that, but um, you, we, I usually ask about regrets or if there's anything that, that you felt like you wish you could say. And one thing that you had said earlier is that you wish you could have, you know, just thanked her for, mm-hmm. for, you know, raising you and for teaching you such, you know, I mean, obviously you're an amazing woman and she, <laughs> taught you that and so is there anything else that you you know wish that you could say to her or do you feel like you say it in your journals um I think it really the main thing would be to um to to thank her um I think honestly part of the reason why I didn't think to thank her was because she never told me about how hard it was Mm -hmm. I just it was not and that actually speaks volumes about her as a person she didn't say like, Oh my goodness, I didn't sleep for two months when you were a newborn. And it was so hard, you know, like never once did she say anything about that. Um, she would only talk about how wonderful it was and how amazing it was to have a newborn baby and the feeling that she, she had, um, in her heart when she would hold me close and that I wouldn't close my eyes all the way when I was sleeping. And she'd always try to like push my eyelids shut (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and just these funny little stories about me as a baby. And, um, but it was never, she never talked about um, how hard it was. Mm-hmm. And um, of course it's, you know, it's the most amazing labor of love that I, I could have ever imagined. Um, but I never, I never thanked her for, for all that she did for me. Um, and I think I just wasn't mature enough to know um that what she did warranted a thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and she uh, was the type of person who didn't feel that she was owed anything. She probably, she didn't feel that she was owed a thank you. Um, but just to acknowledge uh, ev- everything that she had done for me as a child and as a teenager and a young adult. Um, I just wish that I was able to to thank her properly and to talk to her about it a little more. Um, I didn't have like children on my mind or in my future when she was sick. I wasn't even sure if I was going to be a mom someday. So I never thought about talking to her about it or asking her about it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's understandable. I mean, you were, it was, you're so young, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, even though you never got a chance to say thank you, I, I think that she probably felt thanked you know I mean like you went off to college or university college <laughs> yeah and you, she got to see you you know pursuing your dreams and I think as a mom you know I have an eight and a five-year-old you have little ones like if they grow up to be successful like that's thanks enough for me so um, mm. so I know what you're saying but I think that you know that was probably 
everything she could have ever wished for, you know? Thank you. So it's really, it's very kind. <laughs> you're, you're a phenomenal woman. And I want to oh. talk about this project that you're doing because, so I found you and I was looking for, and this will air and maybe my sister will listen to it. Maybe it won't, maybe she won't, but she'll still be surprised by which one I got. So I was looking for, <laughs> for my sister. Cause I'm going to go see her in a couple of weeks. Uh huh. And I wanted something that was meaningful, you know, and she's not a big jewelry person, but I wanted something that had some meaning. And so I got onto your site and I thought, oh, I'll get her one of these pearl necklaces because it, it, um, you know, it's your, it's your project. And then I started reading up more about you and I said, oh, this is even more perfect because like <laughs> the money goes to, right. You'll have to tell us, I think money goes to, you know, lung cancer research and, mm-hmm. Stuff and, and I said, that's amazing. So I picked one out for her and then I was like, yeah, I'll buy one for myself. So <laughs> I just <laughs> I haven't gotten them yet because I'm in Canada. Mail's super slow here, but I can't wait till I get them. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can't wait till you get them and you, you tell me hopefully that you love them. <laughs> like, I, like, I want to, like, maybe I should get the earrings. So I, I like kind of put the brakes on myself, but you know, who knows? I'll probably end up getting it. <laughs> So you've done these two amazing things. You've combined, well, three amazing things. You've combined my love of jewelry for <laughs> for an awesome cause and talking about your mom. So tell us more about the Pearl Project. Sure. So um, the Pearl Project was actually, um, it, it started out as just an idea, like, like anything else, um, where I really wanted to create something uh, to represent lung cancer awareness um, in a beautiful and empowering and uplifting way. Um, And when my mom was sick, I quickly recognized that there wasn't anything like that. My mom, I remember my mom telling me, I wish I had breast cancer because then I could have something. I could have a group to identify with. I could feel supported with my disease and I wouldn't feel stigmatized. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, this was when I was I think I was 19 when we had this conversation and I remember thinking, yeah, like there is no pink ribbon for lung cancer awareness and women don't know that lung cancer is the leading cancer killer in women. Most women think it's breast cancer and there's a lot to be learned from the strides that have been made in breast cancer awareness um, because 40 years ago, people weren't talking about breast cancer. They just weren't. Um, and it, it was a branding effort of all things um, that opened up the conversation with this pink ribbon, something that's symbolic, that's beautiful, that's recognizable. And I wanted to create something like that for lung cancer awareness. And um, so one of the awareness colors for lung cancer is pearl. And I thought, why not materialize that? Why not make that the pearl project? And so um, and it was actually a, a kind of a long creative process um thinking of the the design for the logo and the design for the jewelry which I actually drew out um after a lot of thinking and throwing out different ideas and um I thought if I can create a line of jewelry that's that's pearl jewelry that's um for this project I can help raise money for lung cancer awareness and research and which is desperately needed and um and also make people feel like they're part of a community and uh, make people with lung cancer feel supported and included and, um, and somehow 
like they are a part of something that's that's growing and a part of something that um, is is everything that you wouldn't expect with lung cancer. Um, and that's how it all started. And I, it took me a while to build up the courage to launch it. Um, and once I launched it, I uh, immediately reached out to, it was actually, I worked with a research lab in Chicago and was donating the proceeds to a research lab that was um, focused on advancing lung cancer research. And it wasn't a lot of money I was raising, um, and it's still not a lot, but um, it was going somewhere that meant something to me. Mm-hmm. And and then I continued with the project and reached out to American Lung Association. This was over a year ago and said, hey, I want to um, work with you guys. This is what I'm doing. And um, had a few meetings and interviews with them. They were like, who are you and what is this about? Um, and then became a charity partner with American Lung mm-hmm. and have been involved with them, but pretty involved actually, to support their awareness and research efforts. And they're, they're making tremendous strides in, in lung health and in lung cancer research funding and prevention and education. And, um, and it's really kind of grown from there um, with, with working with American Lung and, and supporting their efforts. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful project. It really, it really is. I encourage if people haven't heard of it, they should. <laughs> yes, please check it out. I would love, I would love for people to, to look it up. Um, can I put my, can I do my plug here? Can I? Yeah, plug away. Okay. <laughs> so um, it's, uh, the website is pearlproject.org. Um, you can also just Google hashtag Pearl Project. Mm-hmm. Um, we're on Instagram at Pearl Project. We're on Facebook um, as um, facebook.com slash rethink lung cancer. Um, we're also on Twitter. Um, the handle is think pearls. Um, but if you just go to pearlproject.org, um, all of the information is there um, about the project, about my mom, about the story. Um, there's also a shop link there. Um, and like I said, the proceeds from the jewelry sales, they do go to American lung and, um, have been donating to them. And it's been, they, they really are an amazing organization. And I've, I've done my research, um, with nonprofits for that are focused on lung health and lung cancer research and awareness. And I think they are an amazing, amazing organization. Um, and I'm really, really proud to be working with them. Oh yeah, you should be. Well, I'm, I think that's amazing. I think that if people need gifts, they should definitely check you out. The prices are super affordable. You know that it's going to a good cause and I can't, I'll, I'll have to uh, like Instagram, you know, I don't, I don't like Instagramming. I usually take pictures of my foot because you mentioned handwriting. I have my mom's handwriting tattooed on my foot. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so <Love> you, that. <laughs> I take pictures of my foot, which is, you know, somewhat strange, but you know, there's a reason, but maybe, you know, I'm sure I'll take a picture with my my new necklace. And if my sister's listening, I won't tell you which one I got. But Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> really, I hope people go and find you. And I think that you are an incredible woman. You're an incredible person. You Thank you. have been <laughs> such a pleasure to talk to. And I, you know, we're both married to Canadians. That's something. Uh, <laughs> How about that? How about that? 
how boots that, right? <laughs> French Canadian, so it's a, it's like a whole thing. But um, <laughs> yeah, you're you're a phenomenal person. I'm so happy that you came into this. So thank you so much. I will put links to uh, the Pro Project and and hashtag up and all of that stuff in the show notes. But thank you so much for coming, Christina. Absolutely. Uh, don't be a stranger. Okay, I won't. <laughs> What a delightful human being that Christina is. And thank you, everybody, for taking the time to listen to the Pearls from My Mom podcast. I loved talking with Christina, and I really do hope that you have a chance to head over to the Pearl, or sorry, it's pearlproject.org. Check out the wonderful work that she's doing to help erase that stigma around this particular type of cancer. I think this work is important, and you know, there's beautiful jewelry involved. So, hey, if you're in need of a gift and you need to get some pearls, head on over there. The money goes to a great cause. Beautiful stuff. Um, I really, I, I can't say enough about her work. I think she's just an amazing person. As always, if you enjoyed our episode today, there are many, many ways to support our podcast. You can hit subscribe, share with your friends, and of course, you can leave that five-star review on iTunes. If you're feeling particularly generous, you can head on over to our Patreon account and pledge a couple of dollars to get some great rewards. For questions, comments, suggestions, or if you'd like to tell your own story, my email is share at pearlsfrommymom.com. My name's Jessica Hott. I'm your host. And until next time, keep on sharing to keep the legacy alive.